This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. An old wine cabinet said to be possessed by a demon which invokes nightmares and physical harm. An island full of giant rabbits said to appear once every seven years off the coast of Ireland. A rural family that in the dead of winter walked one by one into their barn, but never walked out. The world is full of fascinating mysteries, and the Blurry Photos podcast sheds light on the darkest corners of the unknown. With a new storytelling-focused format, Blurry Photos brings legends to life and examines if there's any fact behind the supposed fictions. Join me, David Flora, as I explore the unexplained and explain the unexplored on the Blurry Photos podcast. Hey, this is Dakota, and I wanted to thank you all for the nice comments you wrote, and I really hope I can be on here again sometime soon. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 136 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. Hello, and I'm Tracy. We have got an action-packed show. Chuck Norris will be here. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's going to kick he, our booty. He's not going to be here. Actually, nobody will be here. So we're all by ourselves after yep. doing last week's with Dakota. Yes. And if you notice, she had a little thank you in there for you guys. You guys were super nice to her with all the comments. And she even got mentioned in an iTunes review. She did. She was so excited. So y'all really made her day for sure. Yeah. And yes, Tim plans on making her a character in a couple of seasons for Hillbilly Horror House. So. Yeah, which she's very excited yeah, about Yeah, she's that. super excited about You guys that. were very sweet. Thank you for doing that. Obviously, we want to say thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all that you do. God bless you all. We pray for you every day. You heard a promo on there for Blurry Photos. There's a bunch of you that probably already listen, but David Flora is going to come down and hang out with, with uh, Tracy and myself next Saturday. I know. I'm so excited. David's a big Kentucky fan. He's from Kentucky. He lives out in Chicago now, but uh, he's going to come out, and we're going to sit and watch the SEC games, the, the tournament games, and have a little cookout, and then we're going to record something for his show and something for our show. I know. It's very exciting. His wife, Annie, is coming, too. I didn't want her to think I'm just ignoring Oh, her. no. Gosh, we're excited to meet both of them. So, yeah, this will be fun. I can't. It I can't. Be. It'll be the first time we've actually had another podcaster record with us in person. Mm-hmm. Everything's always been over the phone or something. Yeah. So. Very exciting. And we only had to get somebody five hours away to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate that. As always, we like to uh, uh, let people know that if you're struggling with some things, uh, Suicide prevention is something we take a lot of pride in, and we want people to know 
that you have alternatives. You have people you can talk to. You've got friends. You've got family. And just because you think that you're a burden to them doesn't mean that you are. That's part of the stigma is this, is, is what you think is probably not reality uh, as far as the part of being a burden to somebody. Um, I know we got to talk to a listener the other day that gave us a call and this person felt a lot better after we got off the phone, at least according to them. And we were more than happy to do that. So just know that we mean what we say. And if you don't want to pick up the phone and call us, the group is fantastic for just being able to talk and have people give you some support. Or you can call the suicide hotline at one 800 or if you're more of a texter, 741-741. And we've heard some feedback on people who've used the text line and said that it helped them out tremendously. So, Amen. All right. I know that's uh, people are. I don't want people to have to call that number or text that number, but we are certainly glad that um, they are if they need the help and and are being helped. So, yeah. amen. That's great. Every time we hear about somebody using that line or calling us, at least we know that it, we're at least bringing the awareness that there are people out there. Because who knows if that person would have called. If they hadn't heard it from us. So, like I said a thousand times, that's what we're most proud of of this show. And I would hope that eventually one day when somebody looks back on our show, that's what we're most remembered for. Not telling ghost stories. True story. And yay, the day is longer. The sun was shining. (laughs) It was very windy. Tried to blow my weave off. But it's all good. It was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. Are you done? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to say, hey, this was a beautiful day. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I spent most of it inside doing a honeydew list that you've yeah. put together for me. But well, that's okay. Yeah, I got to see it out the window. Anyways, <laughs> so we got another one of those big stories tonight. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's not a whole lot of the big ones left that we haven't covered, but this is one of them. We're going to take you guys on a cinematic journey. Not really, because we're not doing cinema. But we're going to take you on an audio journey. Okay. Let's do that. Take you to an audio journey to a little town in Essex, England. That's a huge paranormal hotspot. It's the little town of Borley. Ooh. Now, this is the site of the Borley Church, which goes way back to the 12th century. About your birth year, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You suck. (laughs) The church is on, uh, like, the main side of the road. And then there's like a cemetery right next to that. And on the other side of the road is a spot where the Borley Rectory once stood. And obviously we say once stood, meaning that it's not there anymore. Oh, let me guess it burnt down. Yes, it burnt down. Jesus. (laughs) Well, (sighs) it did burn and then it was demolished. But it all came from the burning. (laughs) But oddly enough, most of these burnings are wooden buildings from back. This was a brick building, though, so that's... A little different, anyway. I thought brick didn't burn. Well, the inside of it does. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> The that's brick true. can still stand, but if there's nothing no. left on the inside. That's true. Much like, you know, myself now, I'm just a shell. <laughs> so, so the rectory is going to be the focus of this week's show. Now, the church is haunted as well, and, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but actually, the church could be a show all of its own. And who knows? Maybe we'll get into some of that on the shorts. But the land that the church and the rectory was built on has a very dark past legend has it that there was a benedictine monastery that was built on uh, the property there around 1362 
during that time, the monastery uh, was open. A priest and a nun fell in love. Now, there was the monastery there, and then, I guess, not too far away, there was a nunnery. And so the nun from the nunnery and the priest fell in love. They had a torrid love affair, and they planned on eloping and getting married. Unfortunately, before this could happen, the affair was discovered by the church. So the priest was hung by the monastery. Man, but isn't that kind of weird? Because... Well, I mean, if you mean hanging somebody by their neck till they're dead, weird, yeah. No, I don't mean that. Like the church killed somebody, and aren't are they supposed to be against murder? Well, I mean, it depends on the time and the place because everybody's got a different way of looking at stuff. And a lot of these churches, I mean, let's go back to the pilgrims and the Puritans. You know, when the Salem witch trials, they killed people all the time, and they were some of the most religious people around. So, you know, they're for that eye for an eye, and you don't smite God. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you do something, you know, the, the Bible in some parts of the Old Testament. You know, God killed people. You know, he would, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah just destroyed whole cities. And so if if they take it literal, then, yeah, they felt like that was what God would have wanted them to do. As okay. Twisted Sorry. and demented as it is. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's all right. So, yes, so the monastery hung him. The nun, though, had it way worse. Because in the nunnery, they apparently bricked up a wall. And made like a little bitty small room and I guess bricked her alive <gasps> in there. Oh, no. And they left her to pretty much just die and starve to death. Oh, them dang nuns. So the nuns were just them as bad as the Them little sisters, the right? they ain't joking. So the monastery's foundation that was used for the foundation of, of uh, was for a foundation of a previous rectory that was mm-hmm. there. That rectory... Uh, end up going away uh, being, I think it burned down also, and it became the foundation for the Borley Rectory. So the Borley was the, built right upon the foundation of the oh, old rectory. Gotcha. The Borley Rectory was built in 1862. Beautiful, huge, brick, Gothic-style house, 23 rooms. Huge. Most time when I think rectories, I think of like a little building yeah. next to a church and right. just enough for the, the priest to live or, mm-hmm. or the rector. Did you know that's what they were called, rectors? That's why it's called a rectory? Like whoever was head of the church, mm-hmm. they're called actually rectors. Oh and no, that's I did why not the, know that's that. why their house was called a rectory. rectory. Well, that makes sense. So Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. That's a big long, long name. He moved in in 1863 after being named the pastor of the church. Now he's the one that actually had this built. Mm-hmm. So he moves in, and like I said, the old the old rectory had burned down in 1841. So it's been basically 22 years in between the time that one. Went and just, I don't know where they lived. Yeah. In the meantime. Yeah. Up to that point, but he had this one built. Probably stayed with the neighbors. <laughs> Probably. They enlarged the rectory from what it had been before because Bull had 14 kids. Whoa, geez. He, yeah, he took that whole Mary and Multiply stuff serious that was in the Bible. Paranormal events started happening almost immediately after uh, they moved in. So the family would start hearing phantom footsteps. These footsteps, though, would follow you through the house. You know, a lot of times you just hear, oh, I thought I heard somebody walking upstairs. Like we You would be walking and hear it like it was following you. Now, this wasn't just in the house. They would actually also hear this out on the road and the path that led to over to the church. So Reverend Bull 
had a bell system set up for the servants, mm-hmm. you know, where it was like yeah. there was bells over all the doors leading from all the rooms. So they would just be able to, you know, pull a string and it would ring the bell. These bells would ring without anybody ever pulling the string. The biggest paranormal incident, though, was the apparition of a nun. Go figure. Yeah, that would be that would scare me. I think, honestly, a lot of this story that you'll hear, I think there's some, I'm assuming, I don't know this to be fact, but there's a bunch of movies that came out that I think were all based on these things. Like The Nun. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming a lot of it, even though she wasn't an evil nun, I yeah. think I think a lot of it maybe came from that, yeah. From this story, story because you're gonna find that a the vision of a nun here is pretty prevalent throughout the whole story. Now everybody in the family saw this nun. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't just a one time occurrence. This was something that happened a lot. Um is it possible it was the nun we talked about a few minutes ago? Mm-hmm. That's the the you know assumption of most people. She was seen so often that one area outside of the rectory was called the nun walk. Ooh. Reverend Bull even built a small summer house that had the perfect viewpoint to see the nun. Did he, he didn't build it just for that, did yeah. he? Oh, dang. He built it just for that. Reverend Bull would sit there for hours on end just smoking a cigar and just trying to catch a glimpse of the nun. So he was infatuated with it. The nun would also be seen either looking in or looking out of windows of the house. Mm -hmm. So we've got some more nun sightings and another nun story coming up a little bit later in the show. So we're going to switch gears, literally. Another apparition that was seen on a regular basis was a large black coach pulled by four black horses. Now, if that's not spooky enough, it was driven by two headless coachmen. Oh, well, yeah, that'd be pretty scary. You could hear the horse's uh, hoof prints, or you can't hear a hoof print, but you could hear the hoofs clanking and stuff like that up and up and down mm-hmm. the uh, little roadway out front. And as soon as they got past the rectory itself, it would disappear. See, I've actually had nightmares about that before. <laughs> I, I have. A, yes. A horse not, and not, wagon. Not, yeah, about the horse and the wagon. And. You know, when you were a little kid, you'd always, like, you hear a car come, you go, okay, let's run and hide so the car don't see us. Have you ever do that? No. Oh, I used to do that. I don't know. We used to do that all the time. What kind of boring life did you live? Well, I lived down on the creek, so you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Mud pies and all, but I used to have that dream, and it would always terrify me because it's like I tried to get up and run and hide behind something so they wouldn't see me because I always just knew they were going to try to run over me or get me or something like that. So that's pretty scary, especially if I got two people and have no head. I had a dream one time that I got thrown in the back of a garbage truck and I could remember being inside and Ooh, seeing and the little thing, thing closing. Anyway. Ooh, that's gross. They also said that sometimes this coach would like be coming straight towards the house instead of going across or past. It would be going straight towards the house. Oh, gosh. And then it would just disappear before it got to the house. So, like, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Fish! What did I tell you about that fish stuff? Oh. Reverend Henry Bull died on May 2nd, 1892, in a room that they called the Blue Room. Because it was sad? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. His son took over as the pastor and moved into the rectory. His name was also Reverend Henry Bull, but he went by Harry. Harry Bull? Yeah. <laughs> Harry Bull. <laughs> 
So when Harry's family moved in, the activity actually increased. Oh, gosh. Now, this is the time where the nun sightings really ramped up. On June 9th, 1927, Harry died in the rectory, just like his father did. He also died in the blue room. Oh, my goodness. 23 rooms in the house, and they yeah. both died in the same room. I'm assuming the blue room was probably a bedroom. Well, I was going to say, maybe that's the bedroom they both slept in. So this is where the story really becomes interesting. So the word of the rectory and the church being haunted had really started to spread. And the rectory sent, set pretty much vacant for several months. Now, during this time, the place became, I guess, somewhat in disrepair. Somewhat's probably an understatement. Mm -hmm. It became really messed up. Yeah. During this time, there was a partial roof collapse because the winter was really bad there. Okay. And nobody there to take care of it. I guess they didn't bother sending a caretaker or anything to do anything. But the place became overran with rats. Oh, gosh. If Weeds and stuff grew up all through the garden. And like I said, that the roof collapsed. So that caused all kinds of damage inside to some of the rooms. And then, like, they had a, a really old heating system and stuff mm -hmm. in there. That was dilapidated and falling apart. And like I said, there was a bunch of uh, pipes and stuff that they couldn't use, mainly because of the fact that uh, they became rusted up. Mm -hmm. And there was a well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the well, because it went unused, it pretty much the water and all that oh, stuff became tainted. Oh, it, well, no, it became tainted because apparently it's stagnant. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. it just sat there without being, there was no flow to the water. So eventually, the following year, Reverend Guy Eric Smith, he took the job and he moved his family into the rectory, not knowing that 12 other possible candidates all turned down the job because of the place being haunted. Oh, he had no clue it was haunted? He, no, he had no clue. And he also didn't know uh, about the story of the land or any of the, the stories about the house going on and this was mainly because he had been living in, in india he was like a missionary over in india well them guys and, are slick not telling him that stuff right and he wanted to move back to uh england and his little small town and stuff mm -hmm. so this was like hey this is perfect for us so you know he just went ahead and got in noticed the place was in way worse shape than he thought it was going to be in and some of the rooms weren't even able to be used because of the roof collapse i was telling yeah. you about so you got 23 rooms and you can't even use all of them. So they're just uh, using part of the house now. The shape of the house would soon be the least of their worries, though. It started with footsteps, just like with the others before. Keep in mind, they didn't know any of these stories. The footsteps were soon joined by a bunch of knocks on the windows and the doors. Most of this paranormal activity came from the blue room. Of course, that's the room where both of the previous occupants had passed away. Reverend Smith was convinced that footsteps were from a real person, not a ghost or, you know, possibly an intruder is what he was thinking. Right. He even stayed up one night, all night with uh, a stick, just kind of checking for himself to see if something showed up. So he heard some footsteps outside of the blue room, but he didn't see a single person out there. Mm -hmm. So then he would hear tapping on the walls, hushed voices. They were becoming a, a pretty much a common occurrence on, on a regular basis almost daily the smiths would see the infamous carriage at nighttime and once again keep in mind nobody had told them these stories and they're seeing the same thing that other people had seen 
Shortly after moving in, Mrs. Smith was kind of going through some things that were left in the house. And one of the things left was this giant like um, uh, bookshelf mm-hmm. uh, that had a cupboard, cupboards at the bottom of them. And she was cleaning out the cupboard and she came across a brown paper package. Inside the package was a skull of a young woman. Oh, oh my gosh. In a package? Yes. Somebody forgot to mail it? I don't don't think it was being sent for mail. I think it was just sitting there. So after this discovery, all the paranormal activity drastically increased. Oh, my gosh. So the reverend took the skull and he had it buried at cemetery because he thought, Hey, this this will make things better. That's mm-hmm. he because he was convinced that everything that was happening paranormal wise was probably tied to the skull. Yeah, because nobody they buried the body and not the head. Right. Hey, they forgot the head. <laughs> it got even worse though after he had it buried. So he went and had it dug back up. And I, I don't know if he brought it back or what he did, but he went and had it dug back up, thinking, well, this, it got worse. So, you know, they would hear the servant bells ringing that we earlier had expressed. The problem this time, though, is that unlike when the bulls heard it, there were no strings attached to this anymore because they'd all deteriorated over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah. So there were no strings, but the bells would just ring. Reverend Smith had the skull, like I said, excavated, hoping it would it would slow down the activity. Of course, it didn't. They eventually called the Daily Mirror, which is the, the newspaper there, to see if they could help them contact the Society for Psychical Research. On June 10th, 1928, the Daily Mirror sent out a reporter who wrote several articles on the Borley Rectory. They also were instrumental in setting up a visit from Harry Price, who was a really well-known paranormal researcher back in the day. Harry was uh, one of these guys that had a reputation for debunking these type of cases. Mm-hmm. So I guess they figured, you know, he'll come out and find out what's wrong. But he used to, there was back then there was a lot of uh, what you would call spiritual photographers yeah. that would... You know, we need to do a show on, on some of that stuff and the spiritualist movement and stuff like that because there were people that they would make a living just taking pictures of somebody and then telling you, like, dead loved ones would supposedly show up in the pictures. And it was all pretty much just trickery of photography back then because it wasn't something that was yeah as well known. And But that was one of the things he would do was debunk these type of things. So he had formed the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. And when Price arrived new things started happening. Pebbles began hitting the outside of the house, and they would also roll down the steps on the inside of the house. Objects would fly at people, things like stones and vases. In the blue room, messages from a spirit were tapped out on the frame of a mirror, like a big mirror. Yeah. Reverend Smith's wife, Mabel, later said that she thought Price might have been falsifying some of these things because they stopped when he left the house and hadn't happened ever before he came there. Mm-hmm. The Reverend heard voices in the house that he was sure was a woman's voice, mumbling to him and also walking through the house. The couple would also note a blue light coming from one of the rooms down the hall that were never used. I wonder what that was, where that at? I have no idea. Maybe a blue light special from Kmart? Could be. It could have been the start. (laughs) They were a little overwhelmed, and they hired a maid from London to come in, try to help them get everything kind of straight and help keep everything organized. On her second day, she saw a woman walking outside, 
As she got a little closer, she realized that this was a nun. She tried to get her attention, hollered a few times at her, yelled at her, and not like in a bad way, just trying yeah, to get her attention. Yeah, trying to get her attention, yeah. But the nun didn't even, you know, look back at her, didn't pay any attention. So she eventually caught up with the nun, and the nun disappeared. The next day, she promptly quit and went back to lunch. <laughs> I wonder why it took the next day. I'd have been quitting. Like, oh, uh, yeah, minute. I would have too. So this is when they found out about how many people had turned down the job before they were offered it, and about all the sightings of the previous two tenants, including the death of the two previous owners, in the Blue Room. The Smiths left Borley Rectory on July 14, 1927. The rectory again stood empty for several months until October of 1930. That's when Reverend Lionel Foister and his family moved in. Now, he was a cousin to the first two tenants, the, the Reverend Bulls. So he probably had heard some of the stuff already. Yeah. You would think, anyway. His family had all the same paranormal activity as the other three occupants, with one exception. Now there was a violent poltergeist activity that the Reverend's wife, Mary Ann, was usually the victim of. She was slapped, thrown out of bed, and had things thrown at her. It wasn't all directed towards her, though. There were some shattered windows, some furniture overturned, uh, doors would lock and unlock on their own. And one of the more sinister things that would happen is spontaneous fires that would just start in the house. That's crazy. The most famous of the new phenomenon, though, was messages that were uh, addressed to Marianne that would appear on the walls and then would just disappear. Like it was just like somebody wrote them there mm-hmm. and then they would just go away. Now, these messages uh, said a couple of different things, but one of them said, Mary Ann, help get. Now, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a dyslexic ghost. <laughs> so one of the other things it said was Mary Ann, light mass prayer. Light mass prayer. And then the last one was please for help and prayers. So that was the three messages that she got. Well, it seems like, so the more people that moved in, the worse things got. Yeah, overall. So I mentioned earlier that the locks on the doors would lock and unlock by themselves. And there was one instance when their adopted daughter, Adelaide, she was locked in a room with no key. So I guess nobody had a key and the door just locked and... No way of getting her out until mm-hmm. he, I guess, pretty much broke broke in. Adelaide was also attacked by something that Reverend Foister referred to as horrible. Oh, my gosh. The Reverend tried twice to exercise the house itself. At first, uh, they thought it worked, but after a period of time, the haunting came back with a vengeance. During one of the exorcisms, he was hit with a stone the size of a fist in his shoulder. Because the place was allegedly under... A microscope, psychic researchers um, pretty much took notice of what was going on. They started flocking to the place. Most of the researchers seemed to think that Mary Ann was causing all of the uh, activity, either consciously or subconsciously. Mm-hmm. She would later tell one of the psychic researchers that she thought her husband was behind some of it, but most of it was actual genuine paranormal activity. 
Well, I mean, why would he? I don't get that. Why would he? You mean like? I guess maybe she was just suspicious that some of the stuff was faked. Maybe. My gosh, I, I would never think that. Well, here's the key to this, though. She later admitted that she had an affair with a guy that was staying with him. His name was uh, Frank Peerless. And she used some paranormal excuses to cover up the affair. Oh, that's kind of smart. <laughs> <laughs> so about this time, though, Harry Price got involved again. So he was there before. Now he's back with this family. And like the first time he visited years ago, he had many different incidents of hauntings. The most popular story is, is that he brought two unopened bottles of wine with him. One turned to ink and the other turned to perfume. Both of them happened while the bottles were still sealed. So they hadn't been opened at all. When they opened them, one was ink, one was perfume. <sighs> Skills. <laughs> Apparently. In October 1935, Reverend Foister and his family left the Borley Rectory because of his poor health. The church decided to no longer use the house as a rectory. I guess three times a charm. Yeah. Actually, I'm, that was four times. Yeah, I was going to say, what the heck? It stood vacant for another two years. In May of 1937, Harry Price convinced the church to rent it to him for a full year. He wanted to do a lengthy paranormal investigation. Now, he knew he was going to uh, need some help, so he pl- placed an ad in the, the London Times on May 25th, 1937. Here's what it said. Haunted house, responsible person of leisure and intelligence, intrepid, critical, and unbiased, are invited to join a rota of observers in a year, night, and day investigation of an alleged haunted house in the home counties. Printed instructions supplied. Scientific training or ability to operate simple instruments and advantage. House situated in a lonely hamlet, so car is an essential. Sing get the hell out of there. (laughs) (laughs) So he got a boatload of applications, and he did a bunch of interviews, and eventually he picked 48, quote-unquote, official observers. He would have them come to the rectory at various times and write down anything unusual that they saw, Mm -hmm. anything they felt, anything they heard, anything at all that they thought might have been important. He had them write it down. He did a seance one night using a spirit board on March 27th, 1938. They contacted two spirits that night. One was supposedly a Catholic nun. I told you there was a backstory that we were going to get to on some more nuns. And this could be the nun entity, not the first one that we had heard of. This nun's name, according to the legend, was Marie Lair. She came from France and she moved to the nunnery over, over here. And she meets a guy named Harry Waldengrave. Why is everybody's name Harry? Oh, I said Harry. It's Henry. Oh, it's Henry. Henry. I was say, what the heck, man? So my bad, Henry. Well, the other one's <laughs> names were Henry. They just went by Harry. So Henry Waldengrave was the guy that she meets. They fell madly in love. They get married. The home that they lived in is where the rectory stood at the time. Oh my goodness. So one night, in a fit of rage, Henry strangled his wife and buried her in the cellar. Well, that didn't go as planned. No. He said, there'll be none of that. (laughs) (laughs) Could that be the skull that they found by Mabel Smith? Oh. Now, the second spirit said its name was Sonic's Amours. Now, this spirit 
said the rectory was going to burn down that night and that the bones of a murder victim would be found in the ashes. I wonder what they're going to fight about. That's so mad they killed her. That was two stories ago. I don't know. I mean, I know, but why? I wonder. I have no idea. They weren't even married that long, I don't think, were they? I don't know. (sighs) So, needless to say, the house didn't burn down that night. Oh, it didn't? No. Oh. So Price finished his investigation. The lease was over, and he left the rectory. In December 1938, Captain William Gregson bought the house. It's said that his dog ran away in fright and never came back. In February 27, 1939, he was unpacking some boxes and knocked over an oil lamp in the hallway, and the whole house burnt to the ground. Oh, and that was exactly 11 months to the day when the spirit said that the house was going to burn down. So it was off by 11 months. Just a little bit. Did they find the skull and stuff? Well... Or the bones? We'll get to that, because that's actually a little little different part of the story. But one onlooker reported seeing a nun looking down from the upstairs window as the building was burning. Oh, how scary is that? In 1943, you know, to get back on that, I said that there was other stories, like the nun might have been semi-based on this. Uh-huh. But also, like, the original house on Haunted Hill, where the guy basically comes to a house and he brings a bunch of people in there and they're doing doing some investigations, but it's just they're just regular people. I think they were students uh-huh. or something like that. I think that was based on what he did there also. Oh, so there's man. two different movies that could have been based on what happened here. So in nineteen forty three, Harry Price came back to excavate the cellar area. He found two bones. One was said to be a woman's jawbone. He buried it at Liston Church. So like I was saying earlier, the, the building burnt down from the inside, but mm-hmm. the bricks and stuff were still standing. They were going to have it demolished. Now, during the time that the building was being torn down, there were two pictures taken. One seems to show a brick floating in midair. Cool. It's actually a pretty cool picture. The other, though, was at the cemetery next door, and it shows a shadow figure just kind of walking amongst the tombstones. Hmm. Now, after the rectory was gone, it seems that most of the, the spirits and entities of the rectory moved to the church and the cemetery. The church has had several different investigations and still does all the way up to today. In 1970, there was a British TV show that caught some remarkable evidence on audio during the investigation. They would set up a bunch of tape recorders at night. Mm-hmm. They would leave and come back, and there was all kinds of sounds and stuff moving around. And um, they tried to pinpoint it and figure out where they were coming from. And yeah. it was... Uh, mainly cool. up by the altar area. So, oh, really? Yeah, really cool. The nun is still reported in the cemetery area, even today. And in the church, there is an uh, opening and closing of doors. There's footsteps and a sound of organ music playing, even while the church is empty. I think that daggone nun be tired of walking around already. <laughs> you would think. She's probably got good comfy shoes. Oh, I'm sure. And she don't have to wash her hair because she's got that thing on her head. So, so nobody sees how messy her hair might be. I think they call that a habit. A habit. You have a habit. She got a habit of walking around. Yeah. So, how much of this story is true? How much is made up? How much has been embellished over the years? That's a good question. I'm glad I came up with it. Mm-hmm. So, I've never heard you ask that before. <laughs> so, the fire. The insurance company 
found that the fire was um, deliberately started. Really? You remember I told you there was a woman uh, that said she saw the nun up in mm-hmm. the building. Oh, yeah, standing well, in the window? Right. Well, it turns out that she was uh, from Borley Lodge, which was close, and she said she saw the nun upstairs, but she demanded a fee of one guinea for her story. And I don't know how much a guinea is, but she was basically looking for money. So it, there's no telling how credible she actually was. Mm-hmm. She could have just been making something up for the money. Now, the bones that Price found in the cellar area, they were buried at Liston Cemetery because Borley refused to allow them to be buried in their cemetery, um, mainly because they thought that they were pig bones so is it possible possible that he may have been maybe planted some bones so to speak just to try to say what it was but Mm -hmm. Borley was thinking that no that's this is this is a trick it's not you're not burying it in our cemetery because i don't think that's what it is now when price died in 1948 the daily mail reporters charles sutton accused him of faking several of the accounts now charles sutton was one of the Reporters that actually came to the house back in 1929 when they were there, the Daily Mirror had sent somebody out there. And he said that there was one time when Price was hit with a stone. Because we said he had all those stones was being rolling down and hitting the, and hitting the house. Sutton said that he grabbed Price and his coat pocket was filled with pebbles and stones of all different sizes. That rotten dog. Also in 1948, three members of the Society of Psychical Research two of whom were Price's loyal associates, said that he had fraudulently produced some of the phenomena. Some of the things were caused from rats and strange acoustics in the house just because of the shape of the house. And then you got Marianne Foster. She's the one who had the foister. She's the one who had the affair. And we were talking about her a little bit earlier. She said that Allegedly, ghost noises were caused by the wind. Uh, friends invited to the house would do some of it. And some of them were just cases of her playing practical jokes on her husband. Now, the children of Harry Bull, which was the, the, the first group, they said that they never were, saw anything. They were super surprised that this place was, was called, you know, England's most haunted house, which is how it's mm-hmm. still known to this day. And they just didn't know anything about it. As far as like the stories about the land and the nun and the priest being killed, it said that the original bull children came up with that just to make the place seem cool. Wouldn't you be fired up if you went all the way to England to experience something like that and and then you got nothing? Well, I'll say this. I think there's definitely stuff that went on. Yeah, there was some stuff that seemed to be not 100% legit. But there were problems before Harry Price got there. Mm-hmm. Now, he might have manufactured some stuff, like the stones and all that stuff. But the, there were already problems going on in that house before that. Mm-hmm. And what about the Smiths when they got there? They didn't know any of the previous stories, and they were seeing the carriage. They were seeing the nun. Yeah, you know, well, that's Hen- true. Henry Bull, the original, he built the house just to be able to, the summer house, just to be able to see the nun. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some stuff going on. Now, how true any of the stories are about... What happened to them? Now, most people think that the whole nun deal being where the uh, priest was hung and the nun was uh, bricked up was just, you know, a legend. It's not something that's true. There's no proof that that actually happened. That's just the story. So who knows how much of it's true and how much isn't. But I think it's pretty obvious there's something going on on that property. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd rather been hung than just bricked up. <laughs> sure. What do you think? Yeah, I think we need to talk about the new logo. Okay. So we put the new logo out. It's had very good reviews, and a bunch of you have already ordered merchandise and stuff from it. So we hope Thank you, you like it. Thank you for that. Yep, we greatly appreciate that. And I'm glad that it was a hit because anytime you change a logo, especially when you had one that was as popular as ours was with the listeners, you take a chance. But Heidi Krause did an awesome job of yes, putting that did. thing together. She's so and talented. You know, I told her kind of what was in my head. She put it on paper, and it was way better than I ever imagined it was going to be. And uh, we're excited about it. We've yeah, changed, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, we've changed almost everything over. Now, the old logo is still available in the store. So if you like yeah. the old logo, you can still get it. But this is just more of our official logo. Mm-hmm. So that'll be what starts showing up on iTunes and all that. Big news came through yesterday. We uh, have the show in Louisville, April 6th with Brohio. Um, we drink and we know things. And, of course, Bishop James Long, the exorcist slash demonologist. And one of the things that we had ran into problems was Waverly usually has two tours and they only had one and it sold out like a couple months ago. So there were still tickets for our show left, but nobody could go on the Waverly tour if they didn't already have tickets. But Waverly opened up a 10 p.m. tour for the 6th. So now if you got tickets to the show and you wanted to go to Waverly but didn't get the 8 o'clock tickets you do have a show now at 10 o'clock or a tour i should say that you can get tickets for but there was only 40 tickets left yesterday so you might want to jump on it that's so great and if you were waiting on that and was like oh i wanted to come to both events so i'm not going to buy tickets to the live show because i want to do both if that's what was holding you back now you can get that And there's only like i think 17 tickets left for the live show Mm -hmm. so snatch your tickets up snatch your waverly tickets up and let's all have fun yeah i do not think we're going to be doing the 10 o'clock tour though we did that two tours last year, and it about killed us. <laughs> it's a lot of walking. Yeah, it is, actually. And I had dress shoes on. So. Yeah. Well, that was but, so dumb. Why'd you do that for? Because I didn't realize it was going to be four hours of walking up a ton of steps yeah, and that's true. everything else. So anyways, I thought that was big news because there's been a bunch of you that's been waiting to see if they were going to open up another tour. We've mentioned that we thought they were going to. Uh, Tina Mattingly that owns Waverly said that that was something they thought they were going to do. So she came through for us. So big Very thanks to cool. Her. Very cool. Thank you, Tina. All right, Tracy, would you like to read our reviews? Sure. We had a bunch of good reviews this week. Thank you, guys. H. Courtney, 60. Mike, 30430. Ghost Host, 14. Gunner the Man. Ricky Bechtel. Al Cinder, 64. Steph Roach. CB7620. Dr. D-I-J-J. What is that, Dr. D... I don't know what that says. I don't know, that I don't know either. Sorry. <laughs> um, SUV Mom 04. Lexi and Logan 29. C Candy. Josh Myers 1986. And Mama Edge 66. Thank you, guys. Those reviews were so awesome. We were tickled to death. Keep them coming if you don't mind. Yep. And we had some... New Patreons, Candace Polio, Jessica Menz, Karen Joe, Josh Hayes, Kristen Cooper, and Matthew Bolovic. Thank you guys so much. We are so appreciative of you guys. Yep. And I'm not going to mention a bunch on the shows. They're on the uh, go to the hillbillyhorrorstories.com. They're all listed there. 
and uh, all the events for Atchison are listed there. And then, like I said, there's uh, the next show coming up after Louisville is Houston. That's sold out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got Indianapolis. That's going to be us, Ohio, and Justin Rimmel. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the next one that we'll start pushing. Thank you, you guys hit- again. I know I keep saying it, but just thank you guys again for your reviews and your support for us. It means everything. We love y'all. We got a shout out for a listener in South Africa. He pretty much uh, forced me to do this. So, uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're glad to we're do it. We're just joking. But it's uh, Woken Joshua Trapido. I probably butchered that. I hope I didn't because I don't nah. know if it's Trapido or Trapido because it could be either one. Oh. But he said he listens in, in the car with his family. Thank so. you so much. We appreciate that. Well, I guess I want to talk about next week's show. Because we've had people talk about this for a while, and I hadn't, I kind of held off about it. But we're going to do missing 411 stories next week and talk a little bit about that. Do you have any idea what that is? 411. Is that when you call for directions? Uh, something something like that. So it's you're information. Missing, you're missing your directions? Missing information. Oh, missing you information? Mem- you know. Any, anyways, that's, uh, there's a... This has been going on now for the phenomenon that's been really brought up for the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. But there's a lot of people that seem to think that there's some kind of conspiracy out there because there's a lot of people that go missing in our national parks. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people have gone missing and either turned back up under really strange circumstances or never turned back up. And... You know, could be anything. I mean, is is it from Bigfoot? Is it from aliens? Is there a thousand different uh, scenarios of what this could be? But there's an um, an ex police officer that started connecting the dots and finding out there was a lot of strange coincidences in all these. Mm-hmm. And he thinks there may be a cover up. But there's a lot of cool stories, and we're going to talk about that next week. Nice, can't wait. And our Patreon bonus next week is going to be on the Michigan Lake Michigan Triangle. So similar to the Bermuda Triangle, a bunch of little strange stuff, but it's a really cool story. And that got tied in while I was doing my research for the missing Mm -hmm. uh, 411 because there was a gentleman that's missing from there that led me uh, to find out all these other occurrences that were happening there as well. So how about that? Very cool. Well, I guess there's nothing left to do except for the uh, latest installment of Hillbilly Horror House. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, guys. We hope you have a blessed week. Remember to love each other, and um, we'll talk to y'all later. Later. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones. Hillbilly Horror House Lies, Betrayals and Secrets One of Three and talk to me.
There's nothing to talk about. Apparently, you can make our decisions for us. What the hell is that supposed to mean? What do you think, Amber? We're married. Married people discuss things when there's a lot of money involved. How could you just tell her we'll take it? I know. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. David, I'm really sorry. Look, I'll call Tracy and tell her that we need more time to think about it. Amber, no. Just, just, just put down the phone. Good, because I was down in April. You were what? Nothing. So, can you call your thoughts? No. Why not? Because the way I see it, we're going to be broke for the next 50 years fixing up your new house. You mean? Yeah. Looks like we have a new house. Oh my god, David. Thank you. I love you. You're the best. I'm so excited. I have to call April. Yeah. And I gotta call Tracy. April, you're never gonna believe what's happening. Yo, Samantha. Speaking, who is this? Dude, it's me, David, your best friend. Hmm. I knew a David at one time, but I think he's on the local missing file. Ah, don't be such a drama queen. Is that another gay joke? Really, frat boy? You have a lot of nerve. I haven't heard from you in months. No phone calls, no texts, no emails. And now, now you want to make gay jokes? Ah, I'm sorry, Sam, man. I didn't mean to offend you. When'd you get so soft? Man, married life has turned you into more of a buttercup than me. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, but Amber's a whole lot better looking. Mmm, yeah, no, that's not what you said last weekend. Hey, you said you wouldn't mention that to me. And you said that you were straight. So. <laughs> Man, I miss talking to you, Samantha. Me too, brother. But whose fault is that? Yeah, 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 but you know what? That's about to change. Yeah? How is that? I need your help, bro. You still all into that crystal, ghost, voodoo, haunting stuff? Yeah, why? Well, if the financing goes through, looks like Amber and I are buying a house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But, uh, I need you to meet me there. There's a few things I need you to check out for me. David... I'm no inspector. I don't know anything about how. No, no, no. It's more along the weird stuff that you're into. You know, the ghostly kind of oh. stuff. Yeah. You, okay. You know, I'm always up for a good adventure. Yeah, but the last time you said that, you got me drunk and I woke up next to two drag queens. <laughs> that was so funny. Gary and Daryl still ask about you. Oh, God. Really? I mean, it's okay. I told them that you went to the dark side and you married a lady. They were very disappointed. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. Can you, uh, can you meet me there in a few? <laughs> yeah, uh, just text me your address and I will meet you there. 
Ah, awesome, brother. Thanks, man. I owe you. We can discuss that later. Perhaps after a few drinks? A few drinks? Nope. Not falling for that again. (laughs) I will see you in a few hours. (laughs) You bet, brother. Bye-bye. Good, you made it. Man, it's good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, it has been way too long. Yeah, man, tell me about it. So, uh, you all set up here? Yes. But why did you ask me to come here? What are we looking for, David? You know, honestly, I I don't know. I just had a weird feeling the last time we were here. Some, Some strange stuff going on. Well then, after you, sir... All right, Sam. There she is. Oh, my God. Dude, what? It's the Hillbilly Horror House. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Writing, production, and editing done by Tim Mullins. Amber is played by Natasha Ali. David is played by Tim Mullins. The Ghost Lady is played by Rebecca Mullins. Sam is played by John Joslin. Narrating by me, Dana Gleason. <laughs> <laughs>